And you might say, Alyssa, well, that's very different than giving birth. And I would agree, yes, it is. Giving birth is way, way, way more important than that. And you are allowed to have expectations. You are allowed to want things in your birth process. We are Hot Talks Health. Thanks for joining us as we share our personal journey to health by researching and interviewing our way through wellness-related topics. I'm your host, Alyssa Haas. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about my experience with natural birth. I'm really, really excited to share this with you. It's something that I'm really, really passionate about. So as we kind of hinted to in our very first introduction to our family episode, I talked about my natural birth with Brighton and and how pivotal that was for me in my journey towards health. So I want to start off with a little bit of a disclaimer, I guess, that this is a very emotionally charged subject, as it should be. It's a very emotional thing. Birth is very emotional, and it's meant to be that way. I would not have it any other way. That's what makes it so beautiful. That is one of the things that make, makes birth so beautiful. So I, I just want to address that and let everyone know that I'm aware of that. I'm aware of how emotionally charged the subject is. I'm aware that there are so many opinions and so many ideas. And if you agree with me on every single thing that I say, I will be very, very surprised. I am simply putting out there what I think, what I believe, and sharing with you my experience and some of the things that I've learned and the opinions that I've developed from that. So I hope I can help somebody in some way. I don't by any means think that my way is the exact right way for every single person. I was about, I think, six months pregnant when I found a Facebook ad for a natural birth class. And I didn't know anything about natural birth except for that I wanted to have a natural birth, which might sound kind of funny because why would you want to have a natural birth if you didn't know anything about it? I knew that I did not love the idea of a medical birth. I did not want to have a baby in the hospital. In my mind, that doesn't make sense. That's where sick people are. Why does somebody who's giving birth need to be in a hospital? You're not sick. You're having a baby. That's kind of where it all started for me. I found this ad. I clicked on it. I, I was kind of hesitant, you know, as you kind of are when you see random ads on Facebook, I signed up for this free webinar that she was doing. And I got an email about a day before the webinar reminding me about it. And I thought, you know, that's weird. I don't, I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to tune into the webinar because it was a live webinar. She was doing the class. It wasn't a recording. She was actually getting on and talking about it and then answering our questions about it. And so I was a little bit hesitant to to sign up for it. And then I went on to read her email and I bawled my eyes out. She, I'm referring to Corinne Brown, the, the person who developed this class. It's called Love Your Labor. She shared her very personal experience, her very personal experience of wanting a natural home birth and ending up with a cesarean in the hospital. And for me, that was my one of my biggest fears because I had seen my sister go through that. I had seen my sister go through wanting to have a home birth, starting birth at home, and then all of these kind of processes and limitations that she had to abide by because of laws where we live that restrict um, certain things during a natural birth 
One of them being the timeline that you're allowed to go over. And we can talk a little bit more about that later and if that's justified or not. She had started out with a home birth and she ended up having to be transferred to the hospital because she went over the time limit essentially that they gave her to give birth at home. She was 42 weeks. And so she had to be transferred to the hospital. Her midwives were no longer allowed to care for her. These people who had seen her her whole pregnancy. So she's in this new place. All of a sudden, it's totally not what she had planned. She has no idea about the procedures and things that go on beyond just general idea of they give you Pitocin, which is the synthetic form of oxytocin that your body naturally produces to induce labor. And then basically you are on a time clock. And if you pass that, you have a C-section. There she is, kind of like the worst case scenario for her birth plans. And I know a lot of people will say, well, that's not worst case scenario. Her baby could die. She could die. And I just think that's such a disservice to people who want to have an unmedicated birth to throw that in their face. I mean, could you imagine any other situation in life where something that was really important to you didn't go the way that you wanted it to and people's response to that is well serves you right for trying to do it that way i mean i just it, oh it infuriates me so of course she goes through all of this she has a c-section she has to heal from that she has to heal from the trauma she has to heal from the physical wounds and she also has a little baby it affects her milk because when you do not give birth vaginally, it takes some extra time for your body to catch up and say, oh wait, I had that baby. And so sometimes your milk, you know, doesn't come in. I I recognize that cesarean sections are sometimes necessary. Honestly, not as often as I think a lot of other people think that they are. Um, I think they're a lot of the times avoidable. And I'm not just talking about in birth, I'm talking about in pregnancy. Uh, There's a lot that we can do to avoid cesarean sections. And in my opinion, a lot of things that we should be doing to avoid cesarean sections. And this is by no means meant to demean someone's birth if they give birth through cesarean section. And see, if I keep going back and forth with this and trying to, you know, make sure everyone feels all emotionally there and included, then I'm not never going to get to my points here. So you just have to realize that I have a different mentality about this. I have the best intentions. I understand that some people need to give birth through C-section. That's it. I'm going to try to stop adding in all of these things saying, you know, it's okay. Because I do have a lot of friends. I have a friend who she was so, so concerned about her birth and she ended up just deciding to have a plan C-section and that was the best for her. And when I heard her say that in that moment, I all of a sudden was like, you know, she's the mother of this child and she deserves to make that choice just like I did. And she made the best choice for her and her daughter. And I felt that in that moment. And I never thought that I would ever feel that way about C-section, especially not plan C-section. But I do understand that there are other mentalities and other situations, but I'm here to share mine. My sister has to go through this terrible, awful, horrible experience. And then on top of that, while she's trying to recover, while she's having so much trouble with her milk coming in, and while she has this tiny little baby, she has to constantly hear about how people are glad she ended up in the hospital and all of this. It was just a nightmare for our entire family. It was so awful to have to go through. And as I'm reading this experience, this identical experience 
that Corinne Brown had. Somebody who is a naturopathic doctor and a doula going through this exact same experience. I was like, this is exactly who I want to be teaching me about birth. This is exactly who I want to hear from. This is everything. She's going to address every single fear that I have. So I made the time to definitely watch that webinar and it changed my life. Went on to then change Trent's life when I forced him to take the class that I purchased because of that free webinar with me. I made him watch the business of being born, which she suggests in the class. I would recommend finding that movie somewhere and watching it. Some I don't know what who streams it or whatever, if you can find it free on YouTube, I think. So her class talked about such a wide range of things, and it's all from a natural birth perspective, all from this mentality of where I wanted to be. Ultimately, you want a natural birth, but you also really need to be aware. She calls it your best case scenario birth plan is what you build, this idea that you build. And then you obviously have to recognize that sometimes things don't always go as planned. And to have those different options for if you, for example, like if you want to have a home birth and you end up in the hospital, how to make that the best scenario you can. Or even if you have a C-section, there's different options that a lot of people don't know about that you can make that more of a natural birth. Oh, what is it called? Oh, a gentle, a gentle cesarean. She talks about a gentle cesarean and how you can have them drop the curtain so you can watch the baby actually being born and they can, you know, give you skin to skin and you can sit with the baby as they sew you up. All of these different options that you should definitely press for and that you should try to advocate for and get during your birth experience to make it what you want, even if it doesn't go exactly as you had planned. I had a somebody, I can't even remember who it was. Somebody once told me, I had a nurse and she told me the best birth advice she could give was that I should have no expectations because it will not go as I have planned. And I couldn't help but think in that moment, wow, what an easy way out for a medical professional to say, have no expectations for your birth. Let me do whatever I want. Could you imagine if in any other profession, any other profession of somebody providing something for you, they tell you that? What if as a photographer, I told my clients, the best advice I can give you about your family pictures is to go into this with absolutely zero expectations of me. Don't expect me to treat you well. Don't expect the pictures to turn out good. And in the end, you'll be happy. I mean, could you imagine that? Could you imagine if someone takes somebody's car to go fix it and as they're taking it away or whatever, grabbing the keys from the owner, they say, all right, we're going to be done in about four hours and I just want to let you know, have no expectations and you'll be satisfied in the end, as long as you have no expectations. And you might say, Alyssa, well, that's very different than giving birth. And I would agree. Yes, it is. Giving birth is way, way, way more important than that. And you are allowed to have expectations. You are allowed to want things in your birth process. So what are these things that you are allowed to want, that you are allowed to advocate for during pregnancy and birth? So I want to talk about a few of them. First one I want to talk about is GBS or group B strep testing. So GBS testing How it works essentially is that I believe at about 36 weeks, you do a swab test and they test to see if there is groupie strep is a certain strain of bacteria active 
in your body. What you have to know about groupie strep is that most people have it. It doesn't affect you as an adult and most people have it in their gut. It's just whether it's active or not during birth that can be potentially and honestly in a very small, small way detrimental. It's just the idea. And I don't think that I don't think that if I were sitting across from a doctor right now, they would say, oh no, 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 the groupie strep is just so dangerous and so terrible. It's just the idea and the fact that the mentality that if you can address it with antibiotics, why not? Right? If there's this tiny chance of something going wrong, and then on top of that, this even tinier chance of your baby dying from this then why not just use antibiotics? It's a simple thing. It can address the issue. It's fine. So here is my issue with group B strep testing. So you have it inside of you. You have this, I'm trying to say it as simply as possible. You have this bacteria inside of you. You're doing a test to see if it's active or not inside of you. You do the test at 36 weeks. You could then be negative when you give birth at 40 weeks, 39 weeks, 41 weeks, 42 weeks, whenever you give birth. You could then be negative. You could also be negative when you do the test and positive when you give birth, which is why most hospitals as a procedure or as a, what do you call it, as a policy, they always say hospital policy, they typically, if you have had your waters broken for over a certain amount of time, they just automatically give you antibiotics, just automatically pump them into you. Whenever we're inviting an intervention like this, automatically Alyssa's mind starts turning. I start wondering, I start thinking, what are the risks? What do, what are, you know, what's the risk versus reward? And of course, I'm not going to say antibiotics don't do anything to you. They're totally fine and safe and wonderful. Antibiotics don't just, they don't just kill that certain bacteria, obviously. And when you are in the process of giving birth, one of the most important parts to building your baby's immune system is that initial exposure to your flora as they come out of you. It smears into their eyes, into their mouth, into their ears, into their nose, into their openings of their body. There is a God-given reason that they are born this way. And it's amazing. When you take antibiotics, you are killing that bacteria in every part of your body. Um, that That is one of the main benefits of giving birth vaginally. You're getting rid of that. And you're giving getting rid of that head start on their immune system. So definitely, I'm not going to tell everyone, I think you definitely shouldn't use antibiotics. No, I am the biggest advocate that there is for it being your choice. You have to decide, make an educated decision on what is best for you. You're the mom. You're the mom now. If you're a first-time mom listening to this and you have not had your baby yet, you are the mom. Your doctor's not the mom. Your friend down the street's not the mom. The nurse isn't the mom. You're the mom. You think about it. You reach within yourself. You educate yourself and you should make these decisions. Not other people, not some random medical professional who decides what's the best for the general public. I do understand that some of these choices are not even 
allowed to be made by the mother, which is a big issue for me. <laughs> and I, I just honestly don't believe that we should be supporting providers who force us to do things to stay in their care. They work for you. If they don't allow you to make decisions, you can go find somebody else. They work for you. You don't work for them. Be brave. You're the mom now. All right. There's some other things that you should be advocating for. Oh, well, I should mention about the groupie strep testing that some some doctors, a lot of doctors, as far as I understand, will not allow you to be seen by them if you refuse the test, which is called delivering GBS unknown is what they call it. And that's what I did with both of my children. I refused the GBS test because I felt that whether I got the test then or not, I really didn't know if I had group B strep, strep active when I gave birth. In places in Europe, they do the group B strep test when you come in in labor. And maybe that might change my approach to this. But my approach, my personal approach, not telling other people what they should do, is that I labor GBS unknown. Because it really is unknown anyway. And for me, my midwives educate me on the risk and I educate myself on the risk, I make that decision for myself. So for me, the risk of antibiotics and the effects of that are far greater than the minute chance of GBS affecting my child, making them sick, and then the percentage on top of that, which I have amazing midwives. You can look this up yourself, but my midwives gave me a whole sheet of the actual percentages of and chances of certain outcomes. They're awesome. Yes, I love Willow. Blood tests and blood draws. I didn't even realize this until I had my second child. I thought it was like legally obligatory for somebody to get blood tested for syphilis. And I had a really, really, really hard time. I just have a hard time having my blood drawn. I try to be like, oh, I'm fine. I'm not stressed out. For some reason, it just makes me pass out. It's really embarrassing. And I don't know, one of the midwives called it something, but if I ever get attacked by a bear, apparently I'll be way more likely to survive than other people because my body just shuts down all non-essential functions when I know that I'm about to lose blood. I was really nervous to get my blood drawn because I had had some bad experiences with Brighton. Not that the, the midwives and everything were great. It was just, I passed out. My blood literally sucked the blood out of the vial back into my body. Like, how is that even possible? I do not know how that happened. And I was just vomiting and couldn't stop, just uncontrollably vomiting to the point where they couldn't even hold me still enough to get the needle in and just all these terrible experiences with Brighton. So I asked them if there was any way that I could not do blood tests. And one of the midwives was, <sighs> maybe I shouldn't share this, but one of the midwives obviously disagreed with me and it was for her safety that I got my blood drawn because I had to prove that I didn't have any STDs that I could harm her. And I was like, are you gonna refuse my care if I do have an STD, first of all? And are you not going to wear gloves anyway if you're that paranoid? Anyway, I thankfully had the option to opt out of her care specifically if she were ever on call. I did not get blood tests done. So you really, for me, the most important thing about picking a provider is their willingness to let you have the pregnancy and birth that you want, because that's what we should be advocating for. There is not one size fit all, fits all. There is not one size fits all. There is not one size fits all especially in birth. Look at you. We're all different heights. We're all different weights. We're all different. Everything about us is different. Why 
should birth be the exact same? It shouldn't. The next one I want to talk about is glucose testing and gestational diabetes. So everyone talks about the jelly bean test, the glucose drink, the drink that's that's dye-free or whatever, the other options for that. Honestly, I just said straight up said no to all of those. And my provider recommended that I then, and she wrote me a prescription to test my own blood sugar four times a day at home because I was unwilling to do the sugar eating test. I'm allergic to sugar, messes me up. I did not want to have a migraine and mental issues. I'm talking like on drugs, psychedelic type mental situation when I eat sugar. It's scary. I, it's basically, yeah, it's like doing drugs for me. I did not want that to happen, especially being pregnant. So I opted out of that. And that's something that you can ask your provider for as well. You can say, hey, I don't want to do this glucose testing. Can I do the at-home testing as well or instead? And that's something that they have you do if the test wigs you out anyway. And so I did that. And was it a lot of work? Yes. Was it important to me to maintain my freedom of choice? Definitely. And that is always something I will fight for in every aspect of my health. (laughs) We'll just leave that at that for today. Okay, other options. Eye cream after birth. So the reason that they give babies eye cream after birth is because of syphilis. So I'm going to admit I don't know exactly what's in the eye cream, but I had a conversation with a neighbor about this. When she was pregnant, I was very adamant about letting her know because she is the same religion as me. So I was letting her know very adamantly, like I did for several other people, if you were a virgin before you got married, and so was your husband, and you have not had any extramarital sex, you don't have syphilis. (laughs) You don't need the eye cream. There's no risk. There is literally no risk to refusing it if you don't have syphilis. And besides the fact that you get blood tested for syphilis like twice during pregnancy. In most cases, that's what most providers test for because I'm sure that's what insurance will pay for. It's it's just crazy to me that that's such a standard thing that they do to babies because the risk that you then take on is impeding your breastfeeding. They got this cream all over their eyes. They can't see, they can't root. Rooting is when they're looking for your breast. They can see the dark skin, which is why it expands and gets bigger around your nipple. The, the the areola, I believe it's called, of your breast gets bigger so that those little tiny baby newborn eyes can, can still differentiate and see the difference in the color. Even though they can't see too, too much already, then we add that eye cream on top of it. My neighbor was adamant that a healthcare professional had convinced her that it had other benefits. And I was like, other benefits means that it's probably a broad spectrum antibiotic, which means that it's killing all of the vaginal flora that you're getting on your baby. So I just stopped right there and I was like, okay, I can't. You know, if you are against the natural process of birth and think that they're going to get some sort of disease from being born out of your vagina, then I just, I can't, I can't argue with that. Like, if you think that birth is innately just dangerous and dirty. I definitely will agree that it's messy, but it's not dirty. 
Okay, major side tangent here, but I've heard a lot of hospitals don't allow you to give birth in the tub because of all of the bacteria that your baby can be exposed to in the water. And I just thought that was so funny because I was like, oh my gosh, nobody told these doctors there's bacteria in the air too. Like it was just, it was laughable, but also sad. Okay. We talked about glucose testing and gestational diabetes. We talked about eye cream after birth and how if you're a virgin, you don't really have to address any risks that I know of. Apparently, there are benefits to having broad-spectrum antibiotics smeared onto your baby's eyes right after they're born that some medical professional told my neighbor about. And please don't hate me if you're my neighbor and you hear this and you know I'm talking about you because... I'm just very opinionated. So Hep B and vitamin K. These are the shots that they are going to want to give your baby as soon as they're born. Hep B is basically your baby's first vaccination. And the same, I will say the same thing about syphilis as I say about hepatitis B. Hepatitis B is a sexually transmitted disease. If you do not have have hepatitis B, if your husband does not have hepatitis B and you do not sleep around, There is no risk to not getting this for your baby. The idea of Hep B is that you have an STD, you had a baby, you're too embarrassed to tell the medical professional that you have an STD, and so they just automatically give your baby Hep B and the syphilis eye cream, just in case you're too embarrassed to tell them. You can say no. It's your baby. You can say no. No Hep B. No eye cream. Say that to every nurse that walks in your door. If you want it to actually happen that way, have somebody to advocate for you, which we'll talk about later. The other one is vitamin K and that one's a tiny bit tricky. Vitamin K is, vitamin K is a part, an essential vitamin in your body's blood clotting process. So the idea is, is that babies went through this hugely traumatic experience of birth and now we need to make sure that they don't have internal bleeding essentially. So uh, that's another one where I kind of feel like it's it's definitely could go either way. Obviously, there are some risks. There are some benefits. In my personal experience, I wanted to wait to see how my birth went before I decided for sure if your baby is born very slowly, then you might opt for vitamin K. If you have an epidural and you have Pitocin where they have very traumatic, vigorous contractions that are forced. It's basically your it, a, this drug is forcing your body to work harder than it can on its own. That could be very traumatic to your baby. That could definitely cause a need for vitamin K. But if you're having a very natural, slow birth process, with your baby or maybe your baby's born very fast so they're not really in the birth canal they're not really undergoing contractions for a very long time then you might opt out of vitamin k but again i'm advocating for choice here not what choice you should make i want to talk about really quick another thing to advocate for is breastfeeding help and resources and if you purchase the love your labor class which i 100% recommend for anyone I had my my younger sister gave birth after me and she ended up having an identical experience to my other sister and it was just all of those emotions and that terribleness. But my greatest regret was not 
telling her that she should buy this class, I thought, well, she has the support of her family. She has me. I know what's going on in this class, whatever. But when she had this C-section, I just wish she had known about a gentle cesarean. And I wish she had known about this funnel that you fall into when you go to the hospital and how how they honestly how they treat you when they know that you uh, when you intend to have a natural birth i mean they just treat you like crap at some hospitals like you're insane like you're crazy like you have a death wish it's terrible if you have never tried to advocate for anything other than what mainstream medical as i call it says is okay then you know how this feels they treat you like you are essentially the biggest idiot in the world. So I wish that I had encouraged my sister to to purchase the class. But in the class, it talks about breastfeeding at the last, the last module talks about breastfeeding. And throughout the whole class, it talks about breastfeeding because a lot of the things that happen when you have a medicated birth have an effect on your breastfeeding. It's just, in my opinion... <laughs> I don't say this very often, but a crime to humanity that we don't share what the risks are of birth in every other place. We're all about all like the making sure we disclose everything legally and all of that. But in birth, where is that? We have no clue. People have no clue what the effects are of putting Pitocin into their body. And I just love that at some hospitals, they call it oxytocin because it's a synthetic form of oxytocin. It is not the same thing and it's definitely not in the same amounts. All of these things have an effect on your breastfeeding and a lot of people don't know that they have this terrible traumatic birth or they just have this birth that they think is, you know, just totally normal. They were totally fine with it. That's okay too. That's fine if you wanted to have an epidural and then have Pitocin and everything happened to turn out fine for you, which honestly it normally doesn't. Statistics show that that you are in the minority if it turns out okay for you. One in three births today in the United States ends in cesarean section. One in three. That's not one in three women who give birth. That's one in three births. So if you have three children, you can fully expect one of them to be a C-section if you just go along with that main narrative. So breastfeeding, help and resources. So I think it's it's just really important to educate yourself on how natural birth encourages breastfeeding. It's so hard for me to see people go through the experience of birth, whether it's what they wanted or not, and whether it was natural or not, and then to see them have issues with breastfeeding. And it's just so hard. It's so hard. That's just such another emotionally charged subject. It's It's extremely, extremely difficult. I do think people deserve to know the benefits and risks and the risks associated with breastfeeding in all of these other parts of the medical birth process, like getting an epidural that affects your fetal ejection reflex, that affects your body from releasing adrenaline. Yes, not just oxytocin, but adrenaline to get your baby that last push out because you can't feel then hit that exact spot that triggers that reaction in your body. So then they're stuck. They're stuck in there for a while. And then when they finally get them out or you finally get them out or you finally cut them out of you, all of these hormones are like, what in the heck is going on? Nothing knows when to release when and whole hosts of problems leads a whole host of another other problems with breastfeeding. 
Your body doesn't know what's going on. Did that, was that baby born? Where is it? What happened? Why weren't these hormonal triggers happening? I'm not saying it's not still possible, but there, I mean, we all know someone with problems breastfeeding, with issues with breastfeeding. And if they don't want to breastfeed, then that's their choice. But for those who do want to breastfeed, who have a hard time with it, that is one of the most tragic things. And I don't think that we should just tell them, well, some people can't just, just can't breastfeed. It's just the same idea as telling a mom who had a C-section, oh, well, at least your baby's alive. So finding a pediatrician after the care of a midwife is another thing that I want to talk about advocating for, um, especially for those who choose not to vaccinate or follow a delayed schedule. Maybe some people don't know this because they haven't gone through this experience yet, or maybe they don't know because they vaccinate their children, but it's worth knowing either way. People who do not vaccinate or who follow a delayed schedule have a very hard time finding a pediatrician because the majority of pediatricians will not see you. They will not accept your child as a patient if they do not receive vaccinations. Some of them have a certain list, a minimum requirement, whatever that you have to get to be able to see them. And if you see them and you're not vaccinated and you call them and you try to set up an appointment, they will ask you if you're willing to get them on your first visit. And if you're not, they will not accept you as a patient. So most pediatricians nowadays are like that. You are planning to not vaccinate or you are not sure or you want to follow a delayed schedule, just be aware of that. You are going to have to look harder for a pediatrician. And you can also find naturopathic pediatricians as well. So I want to talk a little bit about something that's really sad, but I, I want to definitely get it out there. I want to talk about the statistics of women being abused in the medical system. And this is also disproportionate to to men, but also disproportionate by race, if if that makes sense. I think I said that correctly. So women and then women of color are more likely to be um, abused within the medical system. So if you want to talk to me about gender equality and all that, let's start here. One of the biggest issues that we have, the majority of medical abuse towards women is makes up something like 80% of abuse within the medical system. And most of it is towards pregnant women. And in most cases, it is a woman who is in labor. I can't even imagine that having a natural birth where every single part of the birth birthing process, every single part of my birth team Everyone there, their whole goal was to make my birth the birth that I wanted, which was calm and serene. I could not imagine being in a room with all the lights on, with my legs spread apart, everyone standing there staring at me and yelling at me. Yelling and coercion from medical staff are the most common types. Yelling and coercion of medical staff to a woman who is in labor is the most common form of abuse in the medical system. I want to talk about a book because you're probably saying, where are you getting this information? There's a book called Babies Are Not Pizzas. And my mom listened to it on an, as an audiobook. And we were going on a road trip and I was looking through her audiobooks and I said, oh, I've been wanting to you know, listen to this book or read this book because I, you had mentioned a few things from it. It's about a woman who is a nurse at a hospital. She works in the baby department or whatever they call it. <laughs> I always call it the baby department. She works in the baby department and she also taught at a university there 
she was like a head nurse, very, uh, very knowledgeable woman. And she got pregnant and, and she just thought, oh, I want to be the best patient. I want this to be amazing. And I'm going to bring like little gifty bags to the people. I always see that on Pinterest. 10 things to bring your nurses when you give birth. And I'm like, is that how it is nowadays that you have to literally bribe your nurse to be nice to you? Anyway, sorry, nothing against that if you do that. In this book, this woman talks about this and how she just wanted to be the perfect patient and how that was so important to her. And then she realized how terrible you're treated. And when she started to question things, people freaked out at her and they were not kind to her. This woman who's at her own hospital, who is a head nurse, you know, and she can't even fuck the system. So my mom had talked to me about this book before and I was pregnant with Sage at the time. And I said, I kind of want to listen to this. She's like, no, we better listen to that other marathon running book that you want to listen to because I don't think you should listen to this while you're pregnant. And I was like, no, it's it's fine. You know, I kind of already know what goes on in hospitals and and this kind of delivery process, essentially. The book is called Babies Are Not Pizzas. They're born, not delivered, which I love. And I was like, no, I, I got this. It's fine. I can listen to this. And she was like, okay, you know, if you want to listen to it, let's listen to it. And we started it. I think we got about halfway through the first chapter and I was just bawling my eyes out. I was like, you're right. I cannot listen to this right now. And I still haven't gone back to read it, which I need to. So I definitely do not recommend reading that book while you are pregnant, unless you have like a heart of stone. (laughs) But it's very, very informative. I I would suggest probably if you're already pregnant to watch The Business of Being Born. That's a little bit more gentle introduction to what Corinne Brown calls the labor funnel. And what actually happens to you in the hospital when you're giving birth and all of the interventions and such. But read this. Your husband can read it maybe or read it when you're not pregnant because it will just make you really emotional. So I need to go back and read that book. But I do know, you know, just even from the first half chapter was just crazy. One other thing that I want to address and now that I've just totally made it seem like I hate everything medical and we should just stay as far away from that as possible. Um, (laughs) Might as well just throw this in there right now. I want to talk about the statistics of birth and the risk of birth naturally out of hospital versus in hospital medically. So first off, I really want to address what it means to give birth naturally because to different people, it means a lot of different things. And I probably should have said this at the very beginning. And it's not a wrong a, a wrong definition if you have a different definition than me. So I'm going to tell you what some people think and I'm going to tell you what it means to me. For some people, natural birth simply means having a vaginal birth. Giving birth vaginally is natural birth to some people. To some people, natural birth means giving birth vaginally without the use of drugs, whether that be pain medication or pitocin, you know, whatever it is, laughing gas, I don't know. That's a little bit more in line with what I see as natural birth. I The two big ones for me are pitocin and an epidural. The epidural scares the crap out of me because of all the risks that women have no clue about. They are never told. 
I think it's totally up to you whether you want to get an epidural or not. But I do think that you have the right and should be told what the risks are. I want to add this in here really quick. If you are planning on getting an epidural, when you're at the hospital and somebody is going to come and give you the epidural, the doctor who does that, I don't know what kind of doctor that is, whatever they're called, the doctor who does the epidural, they have a success rating on file at the hospital. You are allowed to have access to that. If you ask for that, they, I'm pretty sure they have to allow you to see it. If you say, you know, what's his success rating? Essentially, how successful is he at placing this gigantic needle into a part of my body that could paralyze me if he does it wrong or give me chronic migraines for the rest of my life or make me have back issues for the rest of my life or make half my leg numb for the rest of my life, whatever, all of those risks that that you should be entitled to know that, that they probably don't tell you right then in the moment, but you can look those up yourself. You can ask them for their success rating and see how successful they are. I have found sadly and personally that when you are in the hospital after intending some sort of natural birth or just in any scenario where they find out that you have less than mainstream views medically, they will kind of pawn you off to the crappy doctors, honestly. But anybody still deserves to know this so they can ask for the, gosh, I don't know what it's called. Is it called an anesthesiologist? I don't know. I don't know if it's just if they call it that for general anesthesia or local anesthesia or what. But anyway, you can ask for their rating at any hospital anywhere and they should be able to give it to you, pull it up on the computer, tell you right then, and you can say, heck no, I decided I'm going to give birth naturally or heck no, tell me when somebody else here is working or whatever. Tell me when the other guy gets here. I refuse care from this person because they have a six out of 10 success rating. That is not okay with me, you know, or maybe you decide to have natural birth because of that, because they might say, well, we don't have anybody else and you have to do it right now before you progress too far. I guarantee someone in the room is going to say something like that to you, but you, you deserve to be able to make that decision yourself. That was a side tangent. I was talking about the statistics that show that birth, low risk births are actually shown to have safer outcomes when they have less intervention, meaning low risk birth, which honestly most births are. Most births are young, healthy people. So low risk births are actually safer. They have a safer outcome when they're attended by a midwife, when they are outside of the hospital, when they are not intervened with Pitocin and an epidural and all of these other interventions. And as you add on the interventions, as you add in an epidural, the more interventions there are, the more risk that you're taking on. So this whole idea that natural birth is just so archaically dangerous and that nobody, and that nobody does it nowadays. And if they do, you die. This is an idea that that was developed and perpetuated by doctors when they decided that they wanted to medicalize birth. They painted midwives out to be these like crazy witches. And you can look up newspaper articles from early 1900s that, that share stuff like this. And tell you how much better and safer it is to have birth in a hospital. And we've just accepted that. 
We've accepted that marketing scheme and we've decided that it's true even when we have evidence that shows otherwise. My birth was actually statistically safer than if I had given birth in a hospital attended by doctors and had an epidural and Pitocin. Very interesting and a very wild idea for some people to accept. Let's talk about doulas and who should have one. So a doula, if you don't know, is... Okay, so a doula, if you don't know, is somebody who attends your birth. I almost see them as your birthing advocate. And this person is there to support you, to support what you want for your birth. Because if you think about it, if you are giving birth naturally, this is something that Corinne talks about in her class that I, again, highly recommend. She calls it labor land. It's a specific point where you cannot focus on anything else but this kind of instinctual mindset of giving birth. It's very instinctual. It's very natural. And you are basically, the reason she calls it labor land is because you're in another world. You are not there to answer questions. You are there physically, but you're mentally in another place. And that's your body's natural way of coping with all of these literally expansive changes that are going on in your body right now, which is just so amazing that your body can do that. So amazing. It's crazy. Anyway, doulas are there to support you in that plan. So you get to meet with this person and they support you and they say, well, what are your goals? What do you want from your birth? And the way I think about doulas is it's sad that we need doulas. That's what I think. I think doulas are amazing I think they're pretty much necessary at this point if you want to achieve a natural birth. And I would say not just pretty much, but 100% necessary if you have a at all slightly, even minutely hesitant partner. So if your husband isn't in on this natural birth with you 300,000%, you need a doula. If your husband has slight hesitations or is maybe more introverted, you need a doula. And if you're planning on giving birth in a hospital and you intend on it being natural, I would just say doula all the way because doulas know more about the hospital system and each different hospital and what their quote policies are and they're able to talk in that kind of medical way. They're basically your lawyer for birth at a hospital as far as I'm concerned. I was lucky to have an amazing, amazingly, amazingly supportive husband who was my daddy doula and my mother who is just the most supportive woman I know. But I mean, if either of them were hesitant at all about natural birth, I would have definitely needed a doula. But yeah, I think, I think doulas are an amazing asset. I think they're definitely worth the money. I don't think that they are 100% necessary if, if, if you have like your mother is the strongest birthing person ever or whoever else is attending your birth. Your husband is right on board, right there with you, literally giving birth with you. And you're giving birth at a place where they 100% understand, advocate, you trust that if you told them once when you walk in exactly what you want from this situation for them to follow through on that for example eye cream 
your doula can remind them no eye cream no eye cream she can be she can be you walking around the room saying this is what she wants this is what she wants she's basically your voice when you are busy she's your advocate she's standing in for you if you don't think that your husband can do that for you you definitely need a doula okay so I want to talk about placentas and placenta encapsulation. And this is where I kind of lose some people because it does get a little bit hippie for me. I was a little bit hesitant with Brighton's placenta and I made my own placenta powder (laughs) with it. But a lot of people are really, really grossed out by the idea of this giant organ that grows inside your body and comes out of you when you have a baby. So if you have not yet given birth... I just want to tell you this because, first of all, besides all of the screaming, scary pain and the copious amounts of blood that they show in movies when you're giving birth that don't actually happen, there, there's, um, there's also another part that comes out when you have a baby. In movies, it's just the baby's born and then the mom has the baby on their chest. But your baby's born and they are attached to an umbilical cord. That umbilical cord is connected to the placenta. And the placenta needs to detach from your uterine walls through further contractions after your baby's born, which are a lot more mild than, you know, those really strong contractions that you're feeling at that last transition part of labor. But they still happen and you need to birth your placenta. Well, it kind of is like, is how I would describe it. That's if you've ever given birth, that's exactly how it feels. Well, I guess if you have a epidural, you don't know how it feels. But if you ever had natural birth, this is how it feels <laughs> when the placenta comes out. Blah, blah, blah. It's just this gooey, blobby uh, organ. Your body literally grew this organ. It's amazing. It's amazing. In nine months, it grew a baby on an extra organ. So your placenta is awesome. It is full of everything that your baby needed to, to process, to be connected to you, to get nourished and all of that through your whole pregnancy. And it, I, I definitely think a lot of animals eat their placenta right after, you know, right after they give birth, whether that's just to keep other animal scavengers from coming around or because of the nutritional benefits of it. I don't know. A lot of mammals eat their placenta. Should you? I don't know. There's a lot of scientific evidence that supports the idea of ingesting. Uh, Some people say you should save them for menopause and use them then. Uh, I had some problems after I had Brighton with just major emotional health issues. Just let's just say that major emotional health issues after I had Brighton. And so when I had Sage, Trent, I know not most husbands would do this, but Trent does. He found somebody beforehand, asked them to encapsulate my placenta for me so that I didn't have to wait weeks until I felt better and got around to it and got adjusted. And she came and picked it up from us, encapsulated it, brought it back to us, and voila, I took the pills. And maybe it was that, maybe it wasn't, but I definitely had a lot, a lot easier of a time emotionally. And I'm pro-placenta encapsulation. I know Corinne in her class, she talks about other things. She, she recommends at least getting a placental tour where they show you the different parts of the placenta and just let you look at it. I mean, it came out of you for heaven's sakes. And then I don't know what they do in hospitals, just whisk it away, like throw it in the little 
placenta dumpster. I don't know. Be like, hey, I grew that too. I want to look at it. I don't know if they'll let you do that, but midwives definitely will. So ask them. And then they also usually, I know midwives take it and look at it to see if the placenta is healthy and what's going on there. Very cool. Very interesting. You can always ask for your placenta. That's another right that you have. That's mine. I want it. <laughs> Give me my placenta back. <laughs> so we talked about so we talked about the online natural birth class that I took and all the amazing info and things that you can get from that. It's truly the best bang for your buck. And I know this was just like a giant commercial for it, which it wasn't intended to be, but I have to be honest about how my birth story went. And it is such a big part of it that I can't just be like, oh, I'm going to leave that out for the sake of not wanting to sound like I'm trying to sell something to people because Trent would tell you the same thing. We, by the end of my pregnancy, we, we were just talking about Corinne, like she was our best friend, you know, like on a first name basis with our online birth class teacher. But the classes, it, it, so she didn't teach it in person. It's an online course that you can go on and look up anytime. So then when I had Sage, I was able to go back and review and reread all of that. And I printed out all of her workbooks that come with each section and have those in a notebook that I then refer to again, because they have a lot of, she does the acupressure points, which I've never seen in any other birth class. Those alone are worth it. She has affirmations that you can listen to on it. Then there's the part on breastfeeding that I've never seen in any other birth class go into breastfeeding so extensively. But it's just an, I mean, if you want to have a natural birth or you want to understand how your birth is going to happen and feel empowered in that way, even if you don't want it to be entirely natural, I would 100% recommend her class. It is amazing. I will put a link to it in the show notes on my website. If you just go to hosbees.org and then go to recipes and more, that's my blog. It's just recipes and more because I used to only share pretty much just recipes. In the little tab, if you're on your phone, it's up on the right. There's little lines. Click on that recipes and more, and then find this, find the show notes for this, and there will be a link on there to her class. Anyway, she's amazing, Corinne Brown. Books I would recommend if you are going to be giving birth: Babies Are Not Pizza, probably Leave for After, Essential Oils for Pregnancy and Birth by the Essential Midwife. You can get that on Amazon. I definitely recommend that. I talked about it in my other podcast, our intro podcast. Um, another one that I definitely recommend is, well, anything by Ina Mae Gaskin. Anything by Ina Mae, definitely. She is just America's midwife. I don't know what else to call her. She's amazing. She's kind of the one that kind of brought this revolution of midwives back into the game, I think, in my opinion. That's how I see her. She's just an amazing woman. And, um, but her book specifically, Spiritual Midwifery, is a great, great read for anybody who wants to have a natural birth. It's a great way to, it's basically a book filled with natural birth stories, just story after story after story. And it's incredible what it does to you and your mindset about natural birth. It's kind of like helps erase this idea that we have in our minds about what birth is just from what we've seen on television and movies and, you know, from what doctors tell us about how dangerous and whatever it is. And it helps you kind of reformulate and rebuild this idea of what birth really is by just giving you story after story after story. And it helped me because I knew by the time I went into labor, I knew 
hey, this is normal for these people. This happened in her birth. This happened in her birth. While I'm in labor, I'm able to think about this. And even the fact that I was pushing for four hours, I knew pushing for four hours is completely normal for a first-time natural birth. Anything longer than that, and I'm going to start to get fatigued. So I knew at that point, okay, it's time to get my, you know, switch my mental game. I'm going to start getting too tired now. I need to step it up. And yeah, I definitely, definitely recommend that book. There's a couple other books I recommend, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. So I will have to put those in the show notes. And you can, again, find that on hosbys.com, recipes and more, and then find this podcast show notes. It'll be called my birth story or something about birth. Maybe I'll just call it something about birth. I would love to talk to you guys more about my specific birth experiences with Sage and Brighton. I am very fortunate and blessed to have the support system that I have that I was able to achieve a natural, unmedicated, out-of-hospital birth with both my children and Honestly, it was the experience of a lifetime. If you can have a birth like that when you're done, you pretty much just look at your husband and be like, hey, when can we have another kid? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I love it. We are Hot Talks Health.